Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Today's class is dedicated in loving memory of Mayan's father, Mayan Steinberg's father, Zalman Ben-Leib. Zalman Ben-Leib. The Shama should have an aliyah. It should be a good advocate for you, for both of you. Amen. The whole Mishpacha. So we're chapter 41. It's in a very, a very essential chapter. So till now he discussed, he uses the, the, the analogy of the Zohar, that a bird, in order for a bird to fly, a bird needs two wings. So the bird is the mitzvah, and the wings are the love and the awe that a Jew has. You love Hashem, you're in awe of Hashem, and that's your motivation to do the mitzvah. So when you do the mitzvah, if you just do the mitzvah, you have the bird. A bird without wings is kosher. It's not considered a defect. It's not part of the bird. It's added to the bird. The bird is 100% kosher. If you do a mitzvah without any love, without any awareness, without any, you have the mitzvah, the deed. It's the, it's the action that matters. You do the mitzvah. But however, if you do the mitzvah with love and with awe, if that's what motivates you, your intention, the kavana, lishma, then the mitzvah soar, the bird soars, and the mitzvah you inject in the mitzvah, a godly awareness, and therefore the mitzvah soar. Now he's going to say that love and awe is not enough. There's a third element, a third aspect, and that is respect. Accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. And he's going to explain. There's one mitzvah out of the 630 mitzvahs to love Hashem. There's another mitzvah to be in awe of Hashem. But there's a third mitzvah, to serve Hashem. You have to serve as a servant, as a loyal, faithful servant. You have to serve your master. Hashem is our king, and we are his loyal subjects. And that awareness has to permeate every aspect of our Yiddishkeit. It's not enough that a Jew in general accepts upon himself the yoke of heaven. I know that God is my king, and therefore I have a certain responsibility and I have a certain discipline. Because without that, obviously, I have no connection to godliness. If Judaism is just a, a uh, touchy-feely, it makes me feel good type of thing, it has nothing, nothing to do with Judaism. You know? It's nothing to do with Hashem, nothing to do with anything godly. So, of course, it goes without saying that if a Jew doesn't have a sense of God is my sovereign and God is my king and, and, uh, and therefore I have a responsibility, without that I have no connection to holiness. That goes without saying. Without that you can't, you can't really be safe and secure about fulfilling the 365 prohibitions. Because only that sense of awe, am I going to violate God's express command? If God tells me not to do something... I'm not going to do it. Because God is, God is my boss, and I acknowledge that. So it goes without saying, without that, you have no connection to holiness. But here, here he's going to say something much deeper than that. The sense of God as my sovereign, and God as my king, and that sense of respect towards Hashem, that has to be the foundation also for the positive mitzvah. Not only for the prohibitions, even for the positive mitzvah. As we say in all the mitzvot, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Alekeinu Melech Olam, Asher Kiddushanu, we say God is our king. In other words, the reason I'm doing the mitzvah is because God is my king. 
he's my sovereign and I respect him and therefore I'm doing the mitzvah. That has to be that I am Hashem's servant. That awareness has to be behind everything that I do. Not only the prohibitions, but even the positive mitzvah. And not only the positive mitzvah is a prohibition, because the positive mitzvah also are prohibitions. Because if you don't do the mitzvah, you're violating, a pro- you're violating the mitzvah. If God tells me to put on tefillin, I don't put on tefillin, I'm violating his command. So my fear, my awe, would tell me, how can I violate God's wish? But even the action, the active fulfillment of the mitzvah also has to be motivated. Why am I doing this mitzvah? A Jew has to think. A Jew has to be aware. Why am I doing this mitzvah? Ultimately, because God is my king and because I respect him and I'm his loyal subject. It's not enough that I love Hashem. That's fine. That's beautiful. But that's the wing. But then there's the foundation. The foundation of every step of a Jew's life has to be respect for Hashem. Not only love, we discussed the other week. It's like marriage. Love is not enough. Love is not a foundation for marriage. The foundation for marriage is respect. Love is something that you built on top of that. But the foundation of a marriage is respect. Both ways. Husband and wife and wife to husband. That's the key ingredient. Without respect, there's nothing. That's the foundation. Then on top of it, of course, comes the love. And then the love... If it's set on a healthy foundation, the love can flourish and the love can grow. And the same is with our marriage to Hashem. It's not enough to love Hashem. It's not enough to be in awe of Hashem. But there has to be a healthy respect, a healthy sense of respect. God is my king and he's over me and therefore I'm aware of his presence and and I respect him. Just like the king respects us. Because the king is no king without us can't be a king over himself. So the king respects us. He needs us. Without us, he's no king. So just like God respects us, we in turn reciprocate and we respect him by fulfilling his commandments. And that's the foundation of our connection. The acceptance upon ourselves of the yoke of heaven. And that's really the whole foundation of Torah and mitzvah and the reason why God gets so excited about Torah and mitzvah. If you think about it, you know, when, when you choose to move your arm and your arm moves, you're not going to reward your arm for moving. Right? Well, why not? The arm obeyed me. I wanted to move and it moved. Because the arm is nothing. The arm is, is completely egoless. The arm is inseparable from the soul. The soul is in the arm. The arm becomes one with the soul. And the proof is, if you cut your arm, God forbid, blood pours out. Your soul is in the blood. You feel pain. This, the, the arm is alive. The arm becomes one with life. It itself becomes alive. It's not a machine. The body-soul relationship is not like a machine. You have electricity that's causing some movement. The body itself is alive. You can tell the difference between a corpse and a live, a live body. The body itself becomes one with life. So automatically, you want to move your hand. The soul wants to move your hand. Automatically, without even thinking, automatically, your, your body moves. No one's going to give the body a medal of honor. And no one's going to, no one, no one is going to make a big tzimus, a big deal about the fact that the body obeyed. It's when someone else obeys you. When the king and subjects, the subjects, not his children. You can't be a king over your own children. <laughs> you can't even be a king over your own ministers. When there are subjects who are separate from the king, 
and the king orders the subject to do something, and the king and the subjects willingly subject themselves and accept them, the sovereignty of the king over themselves, that's, that's, what, that's exciting. That creates a relationship. And the same is with Hashem. The fact that angels listen to Hashem, or the soul in heaven listens to Hashem, what's the big deal? They're one with Hashem. They can't, how can they not listen to Hashem? They have no choice. But when Hashem sends our soul into this world, and we have egos, and we have bodies, and we're material beings and physical beings, and we have a mind of our own, we're not egoless. We have healthy, healthy egos. And yet Hashem tells us, commands us, and we listen. That's the thrill, that's the excitement. That gives Hashem nachas. That makes Hashem king. Without us, He's no king. If He overwhelmed us with His presence, and we sensed His presence, and He overwhelmed us with His presence, then it would be like in heaven. In heaven, you don't need faith to believe in Hashem. In heaven, it's clear. Hashem is obvious. So no one gives anyone any medals. There are no mitzvot in heaven. Because, of course, how can you not listen to Hashem? If the soul comes into this world, and we're separate from Hashem. There's the king, and then there are his subjects. We have a mind of our own, a will of our own. And yet, we listen to Hashem, we make Hashem king. So Hashem needs us, and He respects us. And we do the mitzvah with that sense of Hashem is my king, and therefore I nullify myself before Hashem, I respect Hashem, and I put my ego on the side, and I'm going to do whatever Hashem asks me to do. All 613 mitzvahs. Not only am I going to be careful to not violate His will, and not violate a single prohibition, but I'm going to be careful to fulfill all 248 active mitzvot. I'm going to put on the tefillin, I'm going to study the Torah, all the mitzvot. Because out of a sense of duty, a sense of service, a sense of respect. And that's the foundation. It's not enough to love Hashem, it's not enough to be in awe of Hashem, but a sense of duty, a sense of discipline, and a sense of respect. This is the foundation. And that's the minimal that's the minimal level that a Jew needs in order to connect with holiness. Without respect, there's no holiness. A Jew who doesn't sense Hashem's presence, who doesn't sense that Hashem is my king and my sovereign, and he has a right to command me, and he's right in front of me, and I am his faithful and loyal servant, then there's no connection to holiness. You can sing, and you can dance, and you can fly in heaven, and you can be in ecstasy. If you don't have that sense that's the minimal level that a Jew needs in order to have an awareness of holiness, an awareness of Hashem. If you're not motivated, if you do the mitzvah without the minimal of this motivation, of this awareness, then you're just doing the mitzvah by rote. It's mechanical. It's dead. It's lifeless. There's no, you're not doing it out of any sense of godliness. You're just doing it out of rote, out of habit. But the minimal sense, awareness of godliness, the minimal level of lishma, the intent for Hashem is a sense of respect for Hashem's presence. That Hashem is here, He's present, He's my King, I respect Him, I honor Him, and it's my honor to be able to fulfill His wish. This is the foundation of a Jew's life. This is really the foundation of this whole world. This whole world is based on Hashem's kingdom. Why did Hashem create the world? What does Hashem need? What's He lacking? Hashem is perfect. Why did, why did God create the world? What's he missing? What's, 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 he, what's he lacking? The what? Okay, so you're saying because, as it says in Kabbalah, that he wants to do good. But that's not the ultimate reason. Because then we're just props. We're just here. We're just props. He needs us in order to express his kindness. 
But what, what's Hashem lacking? He doesn't need anything. It's not like he's lacking anything. The answer is, the ultimate answer is because Hashem is single. <laughs> and even if you're God, you can't marry yourself. <laughs> A relationship is when the moment you forget about yourself, you step outside of yourself. You don't make yourself married. It's when someone else says, I do, you're married. It's not you. You have nothing to do with it. It's the moment you totally forget about yourself. It's the other person when they, they make you married. It's like a king. A king's subject is a marriage, a relationship. It's not a CEO of a company. The king has a relationship with the subjects. It's when the people say, we accept, we coronate Hashem as king of the universe. That's when he becomes king. So for whatever reason, we don't know why. We don't know why. Hashem is not lacking anything. For whatever reason, God desired to have a relationship. God desired to be king. And the only way for him, the only way for him to be king is if we willingly accept upon himself to be king. And that's why it says in the Torah, we just read, Im telechu. So the, the Medrash says, Im is, is begging. Hashem is begging us. Please, I'm begging you. Please, do, do my mitzvah. Please accept me as your king. Why is Hashem begging us? In other words, it's a much deeper to say that we, to express Hashem's kindness, then we're just props. Then we're, we're really, we're really, there's no real significance. We're just props. Hashem is just using us. It's much, much deeper than that. Hashem needs us. He really needs us. He's begging us. Because without Him, without us, He's not a king. Without us, He's not married. So it's not like we're doing ourselves a favor. It's not for Him, it's for us. No, no, it's for Him. He really needs us. He respects us. He has a real need for us. It really makes a difference to Him. It really matters to Him if we open our hearts to Hashem or not. As the Kutzke Rebbe once turned to his Hasidim, he says, where, where is God found? He said, of course, anywhere. He says, no. Wherever you let God into your heart, that's where God is found. Because if we don't let Hashem into our hearts, then Hashem is not a king. Which explains why the Ten Commandments were said in the singular, not in the plural. It doesn't say, Anochi Hashem Elokeichem. It says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha in the singular. And it also explains why out of the 613 mitzvot, 51 mitzvot deal with one subject, idolatry. Not to worship idols. And we think about it, why does God get so excited to be worshipped idols? Why should God care? I mean, just imagine. Einstein is sitting in Central Park. And there's two six-year-old kids sitting on the same bench with him. And he overhears a conversation they had. One kid saying to the other, I heard that Einstein is the biggest genius in our day. The other kid says, you know, I, I study his theories. I'm not impressed. I don't, I don't see why the world is making such a big deal of Einstein. I don't see such a great genius. <laughs> well, what do you think would be Einstein's reaction? He'd smile to himself, amused. You think it matters to him what this little six-year-old Schmendrick thinks, thinks about him? <laughs> what difference does it make? So imagine. Multiply that infinite times. You think it matters to Hashem what this professor on Princeton thinks he's an atheist. He decided that God doesn't exist. Oh, really? And that God is really impressed. I mean, that's really going to make a difference what this Schmendrick thinks. I mean, oh, who cares? Why does, God, why does God get so worked up and so excited? He's jealous. How dare you worship an idol? You don't believe in me. The whole world is coming to an end. If there's one Jew in the world. And the answer is, because 
because Hashem wanted to be king. He wanted him to be king. Because if Hashem is real, if Hashem is real, he's 100% real. Not 99.9% real, 100% real. And what that means is, if there's one person in this world who in his heart, and his mind, Hashem doesn't exist, what does that mean? It means Hashem is not real. Because it means Hashem is in heaven. Hashem is in Jerusalem. He's in Borough Park. He's in Muncie. He's in Flatbush. He's in... But, but he's not here. In your heart, in your mind, he doesn't exist. So what does that mean? If Hashem is 99.9%, he's 100% not. There's no such thing. He's absolute, he's not absolute. If he's real, he's 100% real. So, so that's why, where do you see the reality of Hashem? Hashem created the world like ours, where he's hidden, where he's concealed, where there are subjects who are separate from the king, who have a mind of their own, who have egos. We're not like the body and the soul. We don't feel that Hashem is our soul and we're his body. That's the truth. The truth is we are like Hashem's body and Hashem is our soul. We're completely nullified before Hashem and we are completely nothing before Hashem, but we don't sense him. We sense ourselves as egos, materialistic, our own agendas, our own urges, our own, our own realities. And... We willingly choose to connect with Hashem. We willingly choose to marry Hashem. We willingly choose. We have freedom of choice. We willingly choose to coronate Hashem as our king, as my king, as my personal king. And I am his loyal, loyal subject. It's only then that makes Hashem real. So in a sense, Hashem really needs us. Which explains why Mashiach is such an essential part of Judaism. Out of the 13 principles of faith, the belief in Mashiach is the most essential of all the principles. It's the principle of all principles. Because if you believe in Hashem, and you believe Hashem is truth, and Hashem is reality, then you must believe that there'll be a time when the entire world will acknowledge Hashem. Not only the Jews, even the non-Jews. Every human being will acknowledge Hashem as a sovereign. Because if there's one person, there's 600, 6 billion people, if there's one person in this world who doesn't accept Hashem as his king, there's one Jew in the world who doesn't identify as a Jew, who's not proud of his Jewishness, who is not consciously connected to his Jewishness, then Hashem is not a king. As it says today, we're not allowed to write Hashem's name because his name is incomplete, his throne is incomplete. Hashem is incomplete. Until Mashiach comes, there's something essentially missing. So Mashiach is not just a nice hope, a nice dream, a nice... Mashiach is an essential part of a, Jew's, of a Jew's connection to Hashem because if you really believe in Hashem, you must believe that Mashiach will come. And the world, the real world, where every single Jew acknowledges Hashem, every single Jew is proud of his Jewishness, and every single non-Jew will accept upon themselves Hashem's, Hashem's sovereignty. So this is really the foundation of this world, that the idea that Hashem is king and that we respect Hashem and that we are his subjects, his loyal and faithful subjects, and that we willingly coronate Hashem as my personal king, and he has a right to command me, and it's my honor to serve him. Every time I do a mitzvah, what has to be the underlying theme behind the mitzvah is, I'm doing this as a service to Hashem. Hashem is my king, and I'm doing this, and I'm serving Hashem. By putting on the tefillin, I'm serving Hashem. By lighting the candles, I'm serving Hashem. By giving tzedakah, I'm serving Hashem. All the mitzvah, any mitzvah, anything that I do, rabbinic, biblical, custom, anything that I do as a Jew, everything, this is the silent foundation. This is the underlying, the underlying theme. And then on this foundation, on this theme, you have the rest of the, you have the wings. Now you can have love for Hashem and you can have a sense of awe of Hashem, but the foundation always has to be that solid foundation that Hashem is king.
that Hashem is our sovereign. Let's learn a little inside, inside the Pedic, the bottom of page 579. One must, however, constantly bear in mind what is the beginning of divine service, as well as its cost and root. Core and root. Core so, and root. Right, so root, core is, is something you build on. A root actually nourishes the tree. The root nourishes the entire tree. So in other words, the, this is not just a core, but it's also the root of all the mitzvot that we do, which is? This means although fear is the root of uh, turn away from evil, and love is the root of do good. Fear of God is what basically urges one to refrain from evil and not transgress the negative precepts, while love of God is that which basically motivates one to perform good deeds and positive commands. He explained in chapter 4 that a person will not fulfill all 630 mitzvah properly unless he's motivated by love, because if you love Hashem, you want to connect with Hashem, and the only way to connect with Hashem is by doing a mitzvah, and it's by awe, fear of Hashem, that you will, that will help you overcome your urges, and you won't come to violate Hashem's will. Okay, nevertheless. Nevertheless, it is not sufficient to awaken the love alone to do good. But at the very least, before performing the positive command, one must first arouse the innate fear which lies hidden in the heart of every Jew, not to rebel against the Supreme King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He, as has been stated above. Even to do the mitzvah, you say, even to do the positive mitzvah, not only to turn away from evil. Turn away from evil is not only referring to not trespassing the 365 don'ts. He's talking about passively not doing the mitzvah. If you don't do the mitzvah, if you don't do the act of mitzvah, it's also evil. You've violated the sin. If you don't put on the tefillin, you've sinned. If you don't eat matzah and pesach, you've sinned. So even, it's not enough to have that awe to motivate you not to do a sin of commission or even a sin of omission. But he's saying even to do the mitzvah, when you're actively doing the mitzvah, the motivation must be the sense of the awe of Hashem that you cannot violate, rebel against Hashem, who's king of kings. This is a natural awe that every Jew has to Hashem. We all have the sense that Hashem is our king, king of kings, and we cannot violate His wish. We have a sense of Hashem's reality. Okay, continue. So that this fear should manifest itself in his heart, or at least in his mind. Optimally, a Jew should be able to create a feeling of fear in his heart through meditating on God's greatness. If, however, this proves to be beyond his capacity, he should at least arouse the innate fear which lies hidden in his heart. This degree of fear is attainable to all, inasmuch as it does not require such profound meditation. This innate fear may be aroused either A, to such a degree that it is actually felt in the heart, or B, if the individual is incapable of evoking palpable fear in his heart, he will at least be able to summon up his innate fear in his mind so that he will be able to apprehend and experience the fear of God intellectually. As he explained earlier, not everyone is capable to develop real emotions, powerful emotions. Not only in this area, in our relationship to God, even in other areas in our life. Not everyone is so passionate. Not everyone lives life as if it's an opera. Everything is dramatic. Everything is so passionate. Some people are just very cool about everything. They don't take things to heart. They don't get excited about anything, even things they should get excited about. Maybe some people are just not capable of being very emotional. So it's due to no fault of their own. It's just their composition. It's just their personality, their character, the way they're made. They're not too deep. So it's fine. 
as long as you're aware of this sense of awe, that's all God asks of you. If you can't bring it down to your heart and you can't develop a feeling, but at least you can be aware of it. That's all God is asking. Be aware of it. Think about it. Be aware of it. And based on that awareness, you will behave accordingly. You will live your life accordingly. Because every Jew has it instinctively. We have that instinct. So all you have to do is to bring it to the surface. If you can't bring it to the surface emotionally, at least minimally bring it to the surface in your level of awareness. Be aware of it. Think about it. I'm doing the mitzvah. Think about it. I'm doing the mitzvah because God is the king of kings. He's my king. And he asked me to do the mitzvah. The king of the world who commanded me. And I'm obeying his command. As long as you're aware of it, that's all God asks us. That's enough. If you're not capable of more, that's fine. This means, in the bottom of 580. This means that in order to arouse within himself the latter category of fear, he should at least contemplate in his mind the greatness of the blessed Ayin Sof and his kingship. To arouse the former category of fear, that which is palpably felt in the heart, one must engage one's thought in profound meditation. He who is unable to do so should contemplate at least superficially Hashem's greatness. That is um, what we call biblical knowledge. Child does not have that. That's what happens. That's the shift that happens when you become bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. Just like physically you reach puberty, which means you're able, able to be intimate. Children are not able to be intimate because they don't have that ability to focus and to concentrate. In intimacy, you have to be 100% focused, 100% concentrated. If you're 99% concentrated, you can't be intimate. Children don't have that capacity. So everything physical is just a symptom of something spiritual. In other words, a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old have that sole ability to concentrate, to focus 100%. In order to develop a real emotion, you have to have that ability. Because without true focus, without true concentration, you can't really develop real emotions. You can develop illusions or... You know, fleeting emotions that don't last, that are not sustainable, that don't give birth to anything. It's just emotions. But, but real emotions, to develop a real emotion, a conviction, to turn ideas into conviction, becomes a call for action, it becomes a, a movement inside, something shifts inside of you, that takes concentration. To evoke a response within, within yourself that something should stir inside of you, a real inner response when you get something, when it clicks inside of you, that takes concentration. Not everyone has the capacity. That's what he's saying here. Many adults don't have the capacity. They don't have the zitzflesh, but they just don't have the capacity. They don't have that attention span. They don't have that ability to sit and focus and chew on something and meditate on something again and again and again to chew it over. It's like, it's like, it's like you have to pickle something. It takes time. You have, to, you, have to, you have to leave it inside. You have to soak. You have to absorb. You have to let it sink in. Not everyone has the not everyone has the zitzvah, not everyone has the patience, not everyone has the capacity. So if Hashem didn't give you that capacity, so you you can't develop that real emotion. But as long as you think about it, you have the capacity to think, to be aware. So as long as you're aware of it, that's fine. That's enough. That's all Hashem asks. Of you. He doesn't ask of you any, anything more. Continue. Which extends to all worlds, both higher and lower. Bearing in mind that the greater the king's dominion, the more awe it inspires in his subjects. And let him further consider that he fills all worlds, animating them with an indwelling life force that created beings can experience and comprehend. When you realize, as he explains in the second part of the Tanya, 
that the creation of the world, Hashem is imminent in creation. It's not like a king commanding, king commands that you should go build a house. And his, his wish is fulfilled. That's how we classically understood the Torah. The Torah says God commanded the world to come into being, and the world came into being. The Baal Shem Tov came along and says, no. It's Hashem's very words. Hashem's very words that actually create everything, constantly creating everything. So there's an intimate connection between the creator and the created. It's not like Hashem is remote. He's sitting in his palace, and the king commands the world to come into being. Hashem so remote, so far And the world comes into being. No, it's Hashem's very words that are bringing the world into being. So Hashem is very intimate with this world. It's His own words that are constantly creating us. If everything in the world is by divine providence, because He's constantly engaged in the world, He's involved in the world, it's His very words that are bringing us into being. As we speak at this very moment, this table, this chair, you and I, everything, everything that happens to us, down to the tiniest detail. So there's an intimacy when you realize that Hashem fills all the worlds. Radical imminence. Hashem is imminent and He's with us and He's intimate. He's right here. Our very substance is is Hashem. There is nothing but Hashem. And then you realize, continue, that He encompasses. And encompasses all worlds, i.e. He also animates them with a life force that transcends the experience and comprehension of created beings. Just like we know in our own personal experience that there is the conscious awareness which is very limited awareness. Then there's a whole subconscious world. We know how complex the human body is. There are millions of things that are happening in the human body simultaneously. There's no computer in the world that's large enough that can figure out everything that's happening in the human body. It's so infinitely complex. And all of it happens in one split second. You know, it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond comprehension. The subconscious, the whole, that whole world, we breathe without even realizing that we're breathing. We eat and digest food without even realizing what we're doing. 99%, 99% of our body happens unselfconsciously, even speaking. You know how difficult speech is? Do you know, God forbid, the special needs children or, or people who are wounded and suddenly they lose their ability to speak. You know how difficult it is to train them to speak? You think learning violin is difficult? It makes, makes learning, learning violin a lot like child play. To get the muscles to move and to, to emit sounds. And yet, 99.9% of us speak. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we're totally unaware of what we're doing, how we're doing it. It just happens automatically. All these complex things... Every time you move a muscle, there are thousands of muscles involved and thousands of nerves. We have no idea what's going on. And yet all of this happens simultaneously. The body is like an exquisite factory, a drug factory. It's producing tens of thousands of exquisite drugs so finely tuned to the second. It's beyond... So we have a whole reality. Our whole known reality is not even like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. It's not even like a drop in the ocean. There's a whole other reality inside of us which is totally beyond our comprehension. That's an analogy to Hashem. That the whole world that Hashem animates and creates, the whole known universe, is, is nothing in comparison to the way Hashem encompasses all the worlds. Hashem is infinite. And at the same time, and that really animates us, even though we're completely unaware of it. And that's why we call creation, we call creation something from nothing. If you think about it, it makes no sense. It's not something from nothing. It's nothing from something. <laughs> Hashem is something and we're nothing. Yet we say something, we're something from nothing. You know what we call it nothing? Because we don't understand it. We can't comprehend it. Anything that we can't comprehend, we call nothing. We are nothing. 
we are like the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. What we are aware of, thoughts, concepts, words, time, space. That whole universe that we know is so tiny, is so insignificant. There's a whole universe that's totally beyond us. And we know it from our, from our own personal experience. When you're, struggling, when you're struggling with an issue and you're trying to make sense of something, and suddenly, out of nowhere, you get that eureka moment, a flash, a brilliant flash in your mind. Something pops into your mind. Where did this idea come from? I have no idea. It seems like it comes from nowhere. Out of nowhere, it just popped into my mind. What do you mean out of nowhere? There's no such thing out of nowhere. That means that you have a whole reality inside of you that you're completely unaware of. That subconscious is completely unaware of. So our whole reality that we're aware of is so tiny. It's just one little tiny fragment of who we are. There's a whole depth. And that's what he calls save of kalam. There's a whole different knowledge. It's a knowledge where we know things in a different dimension. Where we can know thousands of things simultaneously. When you meet your best friend, you have a sense about them. They walk into the room, you have a sense about that person. It's not just conscious knowledge. You don't, it's not like a computer. You sit and list everything you know about the person. It's like a holistic sense that you get about that person, an instinct, a feeling, a taste, a flavor. You can't even explain it. Maybe it'll take you days and days if you try to articulate it. It's like when you remind yourself of a symphony, an orchestra. You, you just, there's just one sense that gives you that whole sense of that whole orchestra. The orchestra can have hundreds of instruments, and, but you think of it in one split second. It's a different type of an awareness. It's an awareness that we're not usually uh, conscious of. We don't deliberately... And consciously work on that level, but there is that level of awareness, which is what we call seva karma. It's, it's a transcendent awareness. It's a subconscious awareness. It's a whole different dimension of knowing and knowledge, which we're not ordinarily aware of. So too, the world, the part that Hashem creates the world and animates the world, that's what He calls the imminence of Hashem. Hashem fills all the worlds, like the soul fills the body. But then you also have Hashem transcends all the worlds. Not that Hashem is up there and we're here. Hashem is around us. No. Hashem permeates the whole world, but, but He eludes us because it's beyond our comprehension. We can't define, so we call it nothing. Of course it's not nothing, that's something. We are nothing. So that's what He calls the Soiv of Kalaman. Hashem transcends all the worlds, as it is written. Do we not fill heaven and earth? It leaves aside the creatures of the higher worlds and the creatures of the lower worlds. Neither the higher nor the lower creatures represent the Creator's ultimate intention. He therefore does not bestow His kingship upon them, so that He might be called their God and King. Rather, He uniquely bestows His kingship upon His his people Israel in general. For God is known as King of Israel, and upon Him in particular, for a man is obligated to say, For my sake was the world created. Wow, so He says... That have all the worlds, the heavens and the earth, the angels. Who makes Hashem king? Who is Hashem king over? Over the Jewish people. Hashem is king over the Jewish people. The Jewish people make Hashem into king. When we accept upon himself, ourselves, Hashem is our king, Hashem becomes king of the whole universe. And then he goes even more. It's not just the Jewish people as a whole. Every individual Jew... Because everyone is obligated to say, the Talmud says, why was Adam created one, single? Why didn't God create many people? Animals, he created two. Why did he create man, one, single, before Chava? To teach us that everyone is obligated to say, Bishvili nivra olam. The whole world was created for me. In other words, just like Adam was the only person in the whole world. 
So who made Hashem king of the world? Only Adam. There was no one else. There was nobody else. He, was the, he carried the whole world on his shoulder. So to today, even though there are many Jews and there are many people, everyone is obligated to say, Bishvili Nivraulam. I carry the weight of the universe on my shoulders. It's all up to me. If I personally accept, accept Hashem as king of the universe, then Hashem is king. And if not, then Hashem is not king. Everything depends on me. So we have a tremendous responsibility and obligation and awesome, awesome responsibility that we single-handedly, the whole universe rests on me. So you can't say to yourself, who am I? I am a simple person. I'm a simple Jew. What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I'll take a day off? There's plenty of good Jews. There are rabbis out there, uh, sincere. So I'll disappear for a little while. What difference could it make? No, no. The whole, you are Adam. There's no one else. It's you and no one else. The whole world, Hashem Himself is depending on you and relying on you. And without you, He's not king. He's begging you, He's pleading you, He's asking you, please, I need you. Because without you accepting upon yourself my kingdom, then Hashem is not king. The second paragraph, page 582. The Jew should remind himself that the whole purpose and intent of creation visa God, sovereignty, relates to himself specifically that God become king over him. There is no mere hyperbole, since the Jewish people collectively constitute a complete body comprised of individual organs. It follows that even if one Jew one particular organ is blemished, then the whole body, even the head, is blemished as well. Similarly, with regard to God's bestowing his kingship upon all of Israel, if one solitary Jew is found wanting in this matter, this will affect the whole body of the Jewish people. The realization that God bestows his kingship upon each individual in particular touches a responsive chord within one. He is then more apt to demand of himself that he accept the heavenly yoke. This is very powerful. What he's saying is, just like in the human body, if there's one organ that's missing, the whole person is a cripple. So if there's one Jew who doesn't feel a part of the Jewish people, if there's one Jew who doesn't feel part of the destiny of the Jewish people, and doesn't connect to our history, and doesn't feel part of it, that doesn't feel like doing a mitzvah, then... The entire Jewish people are missing, and Hashem is missing. That's why no Jew will be left behind. It says when Mashiach will come, not a single Jew will be left behind. Hashem will not just redeem the community. And individuals will get lost. No such thing. Even the most assimilated Jew, every last Jew will be redeemed. There will not be a single Jew left behind, no matter who. Because if there's one Jew who is not involved, then Hashem is not king. And this is real. This is not, this is not just a talk. That's what the Talmud says. That's why God created Adam alone. No, it's the singular. And that's really the uniqueness in, in Yiddishkeit because it's all about the community and yet it's all about the individual at the same time. It's all about the community. We celebrate community. It's not just about yourself. You need a minion. You need a community. But at the same time, it's also about the individual. You'd never suppress the individual. You don't sacrifice the individual for the sake of the community. Because the individual is a reflection of the whole. It's like the sun. 
the entire sun is not only reflected in the ocean, take one drop of water, and you look at that drop, you see the whole sun. The same sun, because the same sun is reflected equally on the drop as it is on the whole ocean together. Every individual reflects Hashem, reflects the infinite. And modern physics really corroborates it, because the tiniest, the atom, is just as infinitely complex as the whole universe put together. The galaxies, the tiniest atom is infinite. The deeper you go into it, it's just as infinite. Because everything reflects Hashem. The individual as well as the great, as the collective, as the whole. So in Judaism, you can't just submerge your individuality. You know, it's interesting. The Jewish people, Yisrael, is an acronym for Yesh, Shishim, Ribri, Oasis, the Torah. The 600,000 letters in the Torah. Actually, the only 300,000 letters in the Torah. Where do you get the number 600,000? Because in the Torah, there's no vowels. If, if you would have written the Torah without vowels, you really should have written, spelled out the letters. To make a comments, you have to add an aleph. To make all the different sounds, you have to add letters, which are absent in the Torah. So those letters, which should have been there, they are counted as part of the 630. So altogether, 600,000 letters. Every Jew has a letter in the Torah. Just like a Torah, if there's one letter missing in the Torah, doesn't matter where in the Torah, then you can't reach my Yisrael, Hashem, the whole Torah is invalid. If there's one Jew in Alaska, at the end of the world, who doesn't feel part of the Jewish people, the whole Jewish people are crippled. It's a, you have to tie the Torah and put it away. But at the same time, every letter has to be separate. If two letters are touching, it's also invalid. Every letter has to have a space around it. You have to respect the individual. Every individual Jew has to have a, his own personal individual relationship with Hashem, his own personal connection with Hashem. And every Jew has to accept upon himself Hashem is his own sovereign. Not to do it because to please this one, to please that one for the community, for myself. It's me and God as if no one exists. Every Jew is like Abraham and Sarah. There's no one else, just you. Like Adam, there's no one else in the world. You're the only one. There's no father, there's no mother, there's no sisters, no brothers, no... You. You have your own personal relationship with Hashem. And you have to develop that relationship. And you have to... Hashem has to be my personal king. And I'm ready to surrender my ego to Hashem. Yes, Hashem is my king, my sovereign. I'm his loyal subject. It's an honor to serve him. He has a right to command me. And I'm ready to do the commandment. So again, it's not enough to do the mitzvah as a, as a mystical thing, as a spiritual thing. The foundation of the mitzvah has to be, it's a commandment. And, and I am Hashem's servant. Hashem commands me. And he is my king. And I am I'm faithful and obedient to him. Then, of course, in addition to that, you also have to have that love and you have to have that, that sense of awe. But this, every individual has to develop a personal relationship with Hashem. And it's only when every last Jew in the world will develop the personal relationship with Hashem that Hashem, Hashem is king. Because Hashem is king, you can only be a king over someone who has a relationship with you. It has to be something in your relationship. Two human beings, and one human being chooses the other as their king. There has to be a connection. The truth is, there is no connection between us and Hashem. We're so distant. There's no connection. So how can Hashem be king over us when there's no connection? And that's why it's the Jewish people, because Hashem gave us a piece of His essence. And therefore, there is a connection. But at the same time, He created us human. So we're like subjects. There is a connection, but there's a distance. We're humans with flesh and blood, egos, Minds of our own, wills of our own, agendas of our own, self-conscious. But at the same time, 
deep down, we have a piece of his essence inside of us. We have that natural, instinctive faith in Hashem that every Jew is born with, that we get from our Jewish mothers, that Jewish soul that makes us Jewish. So because of that, that's why he can be king over us. Because we're close, but we're distant. So that's why he can be king. And through the Jewish people, when the Jewish people accept God as king of the universe, then he, becomes univer- then he becomes king over the whole universe, over the angels, over all the 70 nations of the world. But it's through the Jewish people. That's why the Jew is the heart of the world. That's why Israel is the holy land. Israel is the, the focus of the world. Because it's the Jew who makes God king. And through the Jewish people, God becomes king over the whole universe. When a Jew accepts God, coronates God as king of the universe, as we do in Rosh Hashanah. Why do we blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah? Because when they used to coronate the king, they would blow the shofar. So God says, please, coronate me as your king. When a Jew blows the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, he makes God, he coronates God as king of the whole universe. So God becomes king over all 70 nations. He becomes king over the angels. And, and of course, all the blessings are showered upon the entire world. But the, the can-do-it is the Jewish people and Israel. This is the Holy Land. This is where God's blessings flow to the whole world through the land of Israel. God's blessings flow to the whole world through the Jewish people. Talmud says if the non-Jews would know how much blessings, how much blessings flow to them as a result of the temple, they would surround the temple and not allow King Titus, the emperor, to destroy the temple, the Roman emperor, because they know how it would affect them. Because if anything happens to the Jewish people, the whole world is affected. Because the Jew is the heart of the world. So Hashem, because we, we are the ones who can coronate God as king of the universe. And by us personally accepting upon ourselves God's sovereignty and accepting upon us, willingly accepting upon ourselves this relation. God doesn't force us and He doesn't impose Himself upon us. He doesn't overwhelm us with His presence. He's hiding, He's concealing Himself. We willingly and deliberately choose and become aware of His presence, and willingly and deliberately choose to have this relationship with Hashem, we cause God to be king. And this gives God tremendous pleasure. And we give God tremendous pleasure, He bestows us with blessings, individually, in our own personal lives, and He gives blessings to all those around us, to all the nations of the world, to the whole universe, to the angels. They all are nourished and sustained by this, the Jews accepting upon themselves the kingdom of Hashem. And it all depends on, every Jew has to say it all depends on me. As if I'm the only Jew in the world. As if I'm other. No one else exists. So imagine the awesome responsibility. If we thought about it for three and a half moments, we would uh, take our responsibilities a little more seriously. And we would do it willingly. Because it's an honor. It's an honor, it's a privilege, and it's a pleasure. But it's a discipline. It's a responsibility as well. So th- this is not new age, touchy-feely, it makes me feel good, uh, I like it, I don't like it. This is, it's, it's something much deeper than that. God is my king, whether like a soldier in the army, right? We have David here, a soldier. It's not a question of I feel like it, I don't feel like it. I wake up in the left side, I'm in the mood, I'm not in the mood. It's a fact, it's a reality. Whether you're in the mood or not in the mood, this is the fact. The king is right here and I'm his loyal subject. You can't turn it off. Well, today I'm not in the mood. I'm, I'm not a soldier today. It doesn't work that way. You're a soldier 24-7 at all times. Whether you feel like it, you don't feel like it, you're in the mood, you're not in the mood. The respect always has to be there. And the same is like in marriage. Sometimes the love is not always present. Sometimes you don't feel the love. Not always. We're human. We have ups, we have downs. Sometimes we feel distance, sometimes we feel close. That's the nature of marriage. 
but the respect always has to be there. That's a bedrock. That never changes. That can never change. A marriage that doesn't have respect, it's all based on love. I love you, but I don't respect you. I yell at you, and I mistreat you. But, but we love each other. That marriage is not going to last a day and a half. It's not a marriage. The bedrock of marriage is respect. That never changes. It's not ups and not downs and no moods and no mood swings and no highs, no lows. This is a rock-solid foundation. And the same is with the Jews' marriage to Hashem. It's respect. It's unwavering. It's unbudging. It's unchanging. And that's the one thread that is consistent. In the last 3,800 years, a Jew always had that respect for Hashem. And you know what? It doesn't matter a great Jew or a simple Jew. This is the common thread. Because when it comes to love, one Jew has a greater love, one Jew has a smaller love, like we just read. One Jew has, has focus and concentration. One Jew has the ability to develop a passionate love for Hashem, and the other Jew doesn't. But one thing we all have in common is that accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, the respect, the humility, the submission to Hashem. When it comes to submission, we're all equal. There's no difference. That's the bond, the common bond that all Jews have in common, from the greatest to the smallest. We all have that submission, that humility, that connection. And that's the foundation of holiness. And he, for his part, accepts his kingship upon himself, that he be king over him, to serve him and to do his will in all kinds of servile work. The acceptance of the yoke of divine service is required of all Jews. The Rebbe Shlita points out that the Alter Rebbe will now go on to say, that the above meditation aimed at awakening innate awe in one's mind does not suffice. An individual must also realize that God not only bestows his kingship upon him in a general manner, but that he also does so in, so to speak, a personal manner, in the Alter Rebbe's words. And behold, God himself stands over him, and the whole world is full with only with his glory, and not only being omnipresent does he see everything, but moreover he scrutinizes him in particular, and searches his reins and heart, i.e. his innermost thoughts and emotions, to see if he is serving him as is fitting. He quotes the verse, not just for poetic flourish, He's adding and explaining that the Medrash says that um, by wicked people, by evil people, it says they are standing over their gods. Like it says Paro was standing over, over the Nile because the Nile was his god. They worshipped the Nile. And the Nile was the whole foundation of his being. Without the Nile, that was his whole success. His whole financial success was the Nile. That was his strength. By Yetzadik, by Yaakov, it says, Yaakov in his dream, it says Hashem was standing over him. In other words, the reverse is also true. Just like it's true by Paro, that he stands on his God, and that's the foundation for his whole being, the reverse is also true. That God stands over the Tzadik, over the Jew. Because without the Jew, in a certain sense, God is not God. Because if we don't accept upon ourselves God as our king, then he is not God. As we said earlier, if God is 99.9.9% real, then he's 100% not real. If God is real, he's 100% real. So if he's not in your heart, in your mind, you don't willingly accept him as your sovereign, 
then in a certain sense, you're denying God. You're touching the very essence of God, which is why God gets so excited about idolatry, and he gets so worked up when a Jew worships idols. And it's and he's so important to him that every Jew, every individual Jew, every last individual Jew, God gave the Ten Commandments in the singular, not in the plural. It's so urgent, so important for him that every last Jew recognizes him and accepts him and worships him and serves him because Hashem, so to speak, stands on us. Without us, he's not king. He can't be king, can't be married. Without us, it's, it's not happening. He can't. Even though he's God, he can do anything. But one thing he can't do is he can't marry himself and he can't be king over himself. He really needs us and he begs us and he's standing and watching over us. He's looking into our hearts. In other words, it's not just on Shabbat. It's not enough for God to come to Shul Shabbat and pray. Come on Yom Kippur and say Shema Yisrael or on a holiday. No. On a regular day. All the time, God is standing over us. And he's looking into our hearts. And he's, he's begging. And he's looking and he's begging. He says he wants to see if we're really serving him properly. Because this is 24-7. This is all the time, all day and every day. Our daily lives. Is God our king or he's not our king? Is it for real or is it not for real? Is his presence real or, or, or is his presence not real? And the main thing is the, the neshama should have an aliyah. And uh, thank you so much for sponsoring this week. And uh, please God to be continued uh, and, uh, next week. And... Thank you.